podcast. Thank you for having me, Joe. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, a national columnist from NBC Sports, and with me as always, Michael Shore, executive producer of Brooklyn Nine-Nine and uh, many other things. Michael, it's been a while. Great to hear from you. It has been a while, and as always, thank you for having me. <laughs> you are welcome. You are welcome. So, have you? How has life been great for you? You know, with last time we talked, you had just uh, done your last. Well, I guess you had done it earlier, but the last Parks and Rec had uh, had just been broadcast, and I know that That's was an. True. That's the last time we we did one of these was like February or something. Yeah, it's been like forever. Well, no, it was April, I guess, but it wasn't too long after that. Right. Uh, and I know it was emotional. How how are you doing post Parks and Rec? I'm doing. I'm doing okay. Thank you for asking. Thank you for genuine concern for my well-being. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was a very, uh, it was very uh, sad time. But uh, you know, life moves on, and everyone is still friends, and everyone's you know now. The good thing about having worked on Parks and Recreation and missing the people involved is that they're in every movie. <laughs> so like, if I miss Chris Pratt, like his picture is on every billboard in America right now and Amy Poehler in cartoon form because of Inside Out is everywhere and Adam Scott is in a movie called The Overnight which is really funny and everybody should see it and so uh, there, I'm uh, constantly I get little glimpses it's like being a parent whose kids have gone off to college but there's billboards of your kids everywhere <laughs> <laughs> do you feel? I mean, you're watching. Uh, you're watching. Uh, you know him run around with dinosaurs. Do you feel like it's just like being with him? <laughs> yeah, well, it's like if you could like capture the essence and spirit of who Chris Pratt is. It's a dude who wants to run around and play with dinosaurs. So that, it's like, yeah, it, it feels very realistic. Very yeah. realistic. That's that's good. Well, good. I'm glad to hear. I'm glad to hear you're well. I'm doing well too. Thanks for asking. And. Um, <laughs> I don't really care how you're doing. I'm not gonna lie. I don't, doesn't, doesn't you, see, you were supposed to say like, "Hey, Joe, didn't you just release a new book?" So I could just totally pitch my book, but you didn't do that at all. You totally... By the way, uh, I'm halfway through it. It's delightful. Oh. Everyone should buy Joe's new book. Thank it's, you, thank you. It's the secret of golf. Thank yeah. you very much. I, uh, I Tom Watson and Jack Nicholas, and I knew nothing. I'm a, a not a huge golf fan, so I essentially knew nothing about. I knew something about Jack Nicholas and nothing about Tom Watson, and I'm finding it fascinating and great. Everybody should buy it. There you go. You heard it from him. I didn't pay him to do that. No, <laughs> nobody's, get, nobody's getting paid for this. All right. He's paying us anything, for the record. Now, now people, don't, people don't know this. You and I have done about 500 podcasts that we've not recorded about the subject that is going to be our faux argument today. That's so right. we're really just going to be repeating uh, the many, many things we've said to each other. But our full argument today is, and I don't know if people have heard about this, apparently there was some kind of controversy in the NFL about whether or not Tom Brady and the Patriots deflated footballs. That's did right. You, did you hear something about this? I, I remember hearing something about it when it first came up, and then it kind of disappeared, and no one has been really talking about it or that interested in it nationally. So, <laughs> so that's because, why, because I'm a Patriots fan, I have done a little bit of reading about it. Good, good, well, good, because I know nothing. So I'm I'm going to be counting on you. Our faux argument today is: Did the NFL handle this properly? Has the punishment been, uh, you know, equal to the crime? Um, which you know. I, I like I say I'm going to be leaning on you. So why don't you begin <laughs> our faux argument on? I don't. They ought to come up with some kind of clever name for this deflate thing. I, w I wish they did. 
Yeah, like it's almost like a Watergate situation, but it's yeah. about plating things. How about water said, deflate? How about how about water balls? <laughs> That's you got it. Water yeah. balls. All right. So so water balls. The NFL handled water balls well. <laughs> no, with a famous water ball controversy. <laughs> hey, I, by the way, I for, always forget. Is it what do we do? Ten minutes or fifteen ten, minutes or five? Ten, minutes? I forget. We do. We 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 set the clock for ten minutes and we do fifteen. That's how right. we. I'm setting it for ten minutes and I'm starting it right now. All right, here we go. So, uh, so water balls. You know, the, here's part of the problem with water balls is the the two sides of this debate uh, are both both sound crazy um, <laughs> when they talk. The people who who say that the Patriots are cheating cheaters who cheated and uh, how are you know uh, the should fake Emmanuel Sanders just came out and said that they shouldn't be the Super Bowl champions. <laughs> And the, they sound crazy, and in part they sound crazy because very frequently the people who are screaming the loudest about that on on that side of the argument haven't actually read the the Wells report. They haven't followed the arguments. They haven't looked at the science involved. They haven't done anything. They're just saying, "I hate the Patriots. Patriots are cheaters." On the other side, Patriots fans such as myself often sound like crazy because in some cases people are arguing that there's a massive gigantic NFL conspiracy to besmirch the good honor of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and that the whole league is out to get us because we win all the time and blah, 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 blah. I also think that's crazy. I think both sides sound a little crazy when they talk. The difference is, is that if you actually read the Wells report and you actually look at the science involved, it really doesn't seem like that, like anything really happened. <laughs> like, it, and, and, it, it, and I know that like, there, there's a certain percentage of people who are just going to say, well, you're a Patriots fan, of course you're going to say that. But I'm not kidding. Like, if you actually look at the science, it, and it's not like invented science. It's science the way that like, gravity is science. It's like balls lose air pressure when it's colder and they gain air pressure when it's warmer. So the Patriots footballs and the Colts footballs lost air pressure when it was cold, and then they went into the locker room to measure them using, by the way, two different gauges. Which is that's part of part of the, the funniest part of this whole, whole thing. Side note is how rinky dink and Mickey Mouse the entire operation was for a for a multi billion dollar league. But anyway, they went into the locker room at halftime. They measured the footballs. The Patriots footballs had lost air pressure, as science predicts they would. Then after that, they measured the Colts footballs, and the Colts footballs had had lost less air pressure, and they were like, oh, my gosh, well, this definitely means that something happened. But no, it didn't, because the, Patriots, the Colts footballs were in the warm locker room gaining air pressure while they were measuring the Patriots footballs. And we know that because by the league's own rinky-dink Mickey Mouse operation admission, they only had time to measure four Colts footballs before – the halftime ended. So that is them literally saying, like, yeah, we did the Patriots ones first. And the Colts ones were sitting there in the nice, warm, toasty locker room gaining air pressure again. And then we measured the Colts ones. So we know that that's the way it happened. And none of that matters. Because what has happened now is this thing has been so mishandled and bungled from the beginning in every direction that the people who believe side A are going to believe side A forever. And the people who believe side B are going to believe side B forever. And there's nothing that can be done short of literally Mike Kensel, the NFL league official, who was the guy who stormed over to the Patriots sidelines in the middle of the AFC championship game and was like, ha ha, you're busted. <laughs> Got you. And they were like, what are you talking about? Sort of that guy literally coming out and saying, like, I have um, had a, like a religious awakening and decided to 
come clean about the fact that I personally orchestrated a massive conspiracy <laughs> against the New England Patriots because I used to work for the Jets. Short of that happening, and by the way, even if that did happen, it wouldn't matter anyway. No. Like that's, and, and part of what is so frustrating about this, as a fan, not of the Patriots, but in my capacity as just a fan of football and the NFL and the product that they make, is like, it's, it's so, it, this whole thing was so badly managed from the very beginning when Chris Mortensen tweeted that a bunch of 11 of the 12 Patriots footballs were two PSI, two pounds of PSI under the, the minimum. That was what he tweeted. That turns out not to have been anything remotely close to true. But that was a NFL league source leaking that to, to, to Chris Mortensen. And that was what everyone believed. It's what I believed. It's why I believe the Patriots were guilty of something at the beginning of this. I totally did because of that piece of information. That turns out to have not been in any way true. And yet there has been no retraction of it. There doesn't seem to have been an investigation into who leaked that or why. And that set the tone for this whole thing, which was that a bunch of stuff was leaked. It turned out not to be true. Nobody understands anything. Nobody understands the science. Nobody understands the truth or logic behind anything. And it's a giant, ugly, stupid mess that has dragged the Patriots through this weird, this weird morass for now, whatever it is, seven months. Yeah. Yeah. It's been um, stupid. It's just been <laughs> unbelievably stupid. That's the best word for it. I, I just, I can't believe it. You know, start with the start from the very beginning point which is you know after after chris mortensen tweets that out and and there's you know there's panic across the land which was it was unbelievable and people have this ability um you know bill james always says that that there's always bs is always going to uh triumph over truth because you can bs like on command, like the truth takes time to figure right. out, but BS, you can do it instantly. You can just totally bullshit your way through anything instantly. So right. as soon as anybody finds out that the Patriots might have uh, deflated these footballs, immediately there's like, somebody finds out, you know, the Patriots have a weird, weird, uh, like habit of not fumbling. It's unbelievable right. how little they fumble. You could not explain this any other way other than they must be making the footballs and people buy into it and then it goes to the next level and the next level. And I've thought from the very start, at no point has anybody ever been able to prove to me in any way, shape, or form that it is easier to play football with a deflated football. <laughs> I've, I've not heard even right. one thing that suggests that to be true. Um, and, and, you know, I get that Tom Brady seems to appreciate, uh, footballs that are deflated to the low point of, of the number. Uh, I get it. You know, it's, it's a better feel for him, whatever, but this idea has begun from the fact that if you deflate footballs, you will win the Super Bowl. That's really what it has just come down to. It's the stupidest thing. It's, it is, it is in my lifetime and we've had a lot of them in my lifetime, it's the stupidest controversy in sports history. I, I really believe that. Yeah. And and the NFL's mishandling of it. You know, you and I talked about it right at the start. There is an actual, like, like punishment on the books for, you know, in any way, you know, tampering with footballs. There is a punishment on the books. And it's a fine. It's a fine to the team. Uh, that's it. That's all it is. The NFL mm -hmm. has never cared about this. They've never given out that fine, ever. Right. In the history of the game. And and yet, 
you know, this has turned into Tom Brady is is uh, Lex Luthor, basically. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, part, that's part. It's a great point. Part of the reason that the whole operation, whatever you want to call it, the sting operation or the investigation or the, the really <laughs> rinky-dink Mickey Mouse, let's try to figure out how much air is in these footballs using two different gauges and not even bothering to write down what we find, <laughs> is that like the reason it was so rinky-dink and Mickey Mouse is they'd never done it before. They never cared. So there was no protocol in place because it's not a rule they ever cared about. Right. And listen, I get it. I'm a rule follower. By nature, I am a rule follower. I drive the speed limit. Like, no <laughs> one drives the speed limit. I actually drive the speed limit. I don't take illegal left turns. I don't park in places I'm not supposed to park. I am a rule follower. I believe that rules are rules. And so I am the guy who was willing to say, look, I don't. this is not a rule that anyone had ever cared about, investigated, enforced in any way. It was a 70-year-old rule that was based on, like, the guidelines for, like, inflating footballs when they were, like, oblong, weird, you know, like, <laughs> Leatherheads-era footballs. Doesn't matter. That's a rule. Okay, fine. If they found that they broke the rule, then apply the, the punishment for the rule, which is a fine that starts at $25,000, right? Yep. Now, the people who made the rule will say, well, if it says it starts at $25,000, it doesn't say that it can't be a million dollars and a four-game suspension and a number one draft choice and a fourth-round draft choice. Technically, it doesn't say it can't be that. But at the same time, the reason that the punishment was twenty-five that starts at $25,000 is because it's a rule no one cared about. So it's like you, there's no – like there, at, at no point in any of the proceedings has any logic or reason or calm thought been applied to this. Because even if you suddenly decided for some reason that you really, 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 really cared about this rule that you've never enforced before, that no one has ever cared about, and by the way, which you essentially codified the skirting of – when you allowed Peyton Manning and Tom Brady to lobby you to right. have like teams uh, like prepare their own game balls on the road, you were essentially at that point saying like, "Yeah, do whatever you want. We don't care. Play football. Like we want you guys to play football well. So do whatever you want to the balls." Anyway, if you suddenly decide that you really care about this law for some reason, then apply the basic fine. Apply the fine and say like, "Hey, we're going to start caring about this." This is now, I know we've never cared before, but now we're going to care because we think it's important and we're going to set in place protocols for how to uh, deal with this. And by the way, we're also going to like acknowledge that it doesn't seem to affect the gameplay that much. Like the, you know, Brady played better in the second half than he did in the first half. And in the Super Bowl, when no one had access to the balls and they were like, probably inflated by some kind of billion dollar properly inflating robot that the nfl invented <laughs> in order to make sure nothing uh, suspicious happened he set the all-time completions record and threw four touchdowns against the best defense in the league for the last two years like it's clearly not a thing that gives like you said it's not like you get to win the super bowl if you do this to to footballs it's not a like a remote control jet engine that you put inside that they were putting inside footballs where they could control the path of the ball in mid-flight or something it's a personal preference expressed by a quarterback in the same way that Andrew Luck and and Aaron Rodgers and the guys with the huge arms like overinflated footballs in the same way that Eli Manning likes his football scuffed and beaten up in a certain way. It's just a part of the game that they've never cared about. And that, what I still don't understand and maybe never will for the rest of my days is why this was the thing that was made into such a big deal 
as opposed to any other of the millions of things that come up in the sport that are roughly this size of a big deal, including, by the way, whether anything actually ever happened. Yeah, I, you know, it comes down to um, this question of certain things just hit people in a certain way, um, and especially if it fits it fits a larger picture, which is this larger picture everybody has had about the Patriots and cheating and, and you know, and it had only been a couple of weeks since since they you know, done that, you know, crazy, uh, formation against, uh, against Baltimore and all, which probably led to this whole thing anyway. And you right. know, when, when Tom Brady afterward, uh, uh, kind of, uh, questioned the knowledge of John Harbaugh and all of that. Um, but before I, I say one last thing on it, you, you talk about being a rule follower. If you're at a red light that doesn't turn green, how long will you stay there? Until it turns green. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I, I, I like if it's broken, I will. I'll pull over and call uh, like the call like three one one and try to get someone to fix it. Or I'll like do something that allows me to take a legal right turn at a red light and like skirt the light somehow. But I would wait. I would wait ten minutes at a red. Like I, I'm not going to go through a red light. I'm that. I'm like my. It drives my drives my wife crazy. But, <laughs> but I really am like an extreme rule follower. And and by the way. Lest you think, lest anyone think that this is really about the Patriots, I don't care about the Falcons piping noise into their no. stadium. I don't. I don't care about the the Chargers heating up balls on the sidelines or, or rubbing tacky substance on the balls or whatever they're doing. I don't even care about Jerry Rice saying that he put stickum on his hands long after it was illegal. I don't care about these things. I don't know why anybody would care about these things, really. No. And I know that rules are rules, and I know that the league has to have rules. And the league has to have a justice arm that enforces the rules. But if you treat everything that happens like it's the biggest, worst thing that has ever happened in the history of sport, and you do it under this weird sort of moralizing umbrella of like, this is about fair competition and about <laughs> gameplay and we care and this, Rob, we're going to pay a lawyer $5 million to look into whether this two goofballs might have stuck a pin into a ball. <laughs> in a way that affected nothing like I like that then you get into a point where like they're just the they're the boys who cried wolf and at some point when and I and you know I think that there are things that happen within the scope of the NFL that matter I think domestic abuse matters a yes. lot I think drug abuse matters concussions. I, think, I think concussions matter I think injuries in general matter save your your biggest your loudest yelling streaks for the things that matter. And I think that, you know, the last thing I'll say is like, and I think this is a point that's been many time, made many times before, but the Ray Rice situation was so embarrassing for the league and so humiliating in so many ways that I think that this was a crazy overreaction. Yeah. I think it was like they said, Dude, it's a two-game suspension. He came back. He got a standing ovation from the crowd in Baltimore, <laughs> which I still don't understand how you give anyone a standing ovation for that. And then suddenly it was like, oh, wait, I'm sorry. Did we say two games we went, we meant infinity. It's infinity games <laughs> forever and ever and ever. And it was so embarrassing and such bad PR that I think that they're like, okay, we really stepped in it with something that matters. Let's take this little tiny thing that probably doesn't matter. And let's, let's become once again the moral arbiters that we want to be. And, and let no one say that we do not take this stuff seriously. And I think that in many ways that was just as bad a miscalculation, a PR miscalculation, as it was to 
dramatically under punish Ray Rice for what he did. Well, I I think what they saw here was, and and I'm not, I don't like people who just kind of just assign sort of ulterior motives to things. A lot of times, this stuff it just kind of builds and happens through natural, you know, sort of evolution of the story. But right. but I think in this case, the NFL couldn't make a big enough deal out of this in the sense of one. Mostly the media was on their side. Hey, come down as hard as you can. This is cheating. Right. Uh, you know, so that so that was easy. Um, and they were fighting against the media quite a bit on the Rice story. Right. And so that was one. But the second thing is, at the end of the day, it's it, you're ju- it's just monopoly money. Nobody cares. It, it's if if the very worst thing happened here, then what? What happened? Nothing. I mean, this is this is there's no crimes committed. There's no nobody got hurt. No, nothing really happened here other than. Uh, whatever you could trump it up to be. And your point, and just want to reiterate that as the last thing, your point about the NFL not caring about this, you cannot overstate that. The NFL has for 15 years now pushed its rules, changed its rules so that the footballs met with the quarterback standards. That's everything they have done in allowing the football, they took the footballs away from the kickers, essentially, because the right. kickers wanted big inflated football so they can get get good air under them or whatever. So, And they were putting them into ovens, and they were doing all kinds of crazy stuff, and they're like, and we don't care about kickers. We want the quarterbacks to love their footballs and feel good with them uh, and be comfortable with them. So they let them bring the footballs themselves, mm-hmm. let them do essentially – anything they want to them, put any kind of mud and and rough them up any way they want. They allow them to basically inflate them to this fairly big difference between the bottom level and top level of what the football can be inflated. They say to the quarterbacks in every conceivable way, just make the football comfortable for you. And then one day they decide we are absolutely going to come crashing down. It's, It's absurd and... I cannot wait for it to end. That's why we needed to talk about it for so long. And here's and now we've said like four times already. This is the last thing, but this is the last <laughs> thing I'll say. <laughs> so, is you know the the analogy that has been thrown around a lot is like pitchers scuffing the ball in baseball, right? And and, and I, I, it's not a it's not a good analogy because it appears by all scientific uh, basis and and also by like just anecdotal evidence. That there are advantages and disadvantages to underinflated and overinflated balls, right? Mm-hmm. A ball with more air in it will travel farther. That's why, again, the guys like Aaron Rodgers and Andrew Luck, who've got these cannons for arms, like the ball to be at the high end of the allowable range. Balls that are less inflated seem to be a little maybe, and by the way, these are in tiny degrees, right? but right. maybe a little easier to catch and squeeze in cold or slippery weather, maybe a little easier to control, maybe it doesn't sail on you or whatever. So guys who are more in the finesse world of passing, like your Tom Brady's and your Aaron Smith, or your, um, your uh, what's his name? Uh, <laughs> Peyton uh, Manning? Yeah, I guess Peyton at this point, Peyton Manning, it used to be the other way, but probably Peyton Manning, sure. Alex Smith. Alex Smith, Alex Smith yeah. yeah. But anyway, you might want a slightly underinflated ball. So really the better analogy is if scuffing the ball in baseball as a pitcher like gave you more movement on your breaking pitches but slowed the ball down by like 5 <laughs> miles an hour or something. So it's like okay, it's a trade-off. You you can you can have the ball one way where you can't throw it as fast but you can control it more 
or you have it the other way where you can't make it break as much, but you can throw it faster or whatever. And this is all a long way of saying that, again, the reason that they have never cared about this is because it doesn't matter, right? And because different guys like it a different way. And what is the argument in not in it when you're talking about like, what is it? A third of a percent in either direction. Who cares? Let them do it. Let them all do it. Let the kickers and inflate the balls to 16 do you want kickers missing field goals is that what you want do you want guys who can't throw long bombs that are caught in for exciting touchdowns like i don't understand you want it to be as fun as it can be it's a game and the only reasonable outcome of this whole thing was to say hey listen we had this rule on the books for a long time and we're re-examining it and technically speaking we think it's if I mean I would argue this point, me, Mike Shore personally, but they could have said, We believe the Patriots broke a rule. The rule is on the books, it's a twenty-five thousand dollar fine, end of story. Also, we're gonna change the rules. Here's what the new rules are gonna be, and we're gonna have one or two random balls tested from each side at halftime just to make sure they're roughly in the allowable range, and that'll be the rule going forward. And finally, here's the last thing I'll say, Joe. <laughs> the last thing I'll say is that if they cont- if Goodell doesn't vacate the suspension, if they maintain this, if this goes to court, the longer this drags on, there's going to be something that's kind of embarrassing for the league, which is that come November and December, when games are being played in Chicago and Lambeau Field and New England and New York, someone, some enterprising reporter, I hope, is going to test footballs at halftime in locker rooms of games played in cold weather, and they're going to find, because, again, it's just science, they're going to find that the ball pressure decreased a significant amount over the course of the first half of those games. And the, the league is going to look very stupid for seemingly enfor- – they're going to, by the way, find balls that decreased much more than the Patriots or Colts balls decreased because the weather will be colder. That you know, It wasn't even that cold during the AFC Championship game. It was like right, 48. Right. They're going to find that they're going to play a game in Lambeau that's like two degrees below zero, and they're gonna they're gonna find a football that's ten point two psi, and then what do you do? Do you then claim that the Packers must have deflated the ball? It just doesn't make any sense to me. No, it doesn't. It just makes no sense at all. And your your thought about baseballs, I think it is like um, pine tar on the baseball in cold weather. I think that's right. all it is. It's a better grip on the ball. I, I don't understand it. Uh, it's it's incredibly stupid. I don't believe that it's going to go away in that uh, ever, I mean, ever, literally, I think 20 years from now, we'll be having this exact same podcast. I, I just think it's, for whatever reason, this one just caught the imagination of the NFL and the gigantic NFL, you know, crowd. And we could have had the, you could have gotten, you know, the people, two people next door to have this same podcast and they'd be talking about what an outrage it is. It's, it is unbelievable to me how this story has so captured people. Yeah. Um, I, 20 years from now, I feel like I'm going to be sitting right here and saying, and here's the last thing I'll say. <laughs> We're going to go on. You, By the way, you didn't set the clock, did you? You, you I, lied to me. No, I set the clock. It went off like 15 minutes ago. I just... <laughs> <laughs> we had to go way over on that. There was no chance we were going to do that one in time. So, um, so by the way, but I, I think uh, for the 38th consecutive faux argument, we just agree. 
basically. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And well, that's the point of the faux argument. The point of the faux <laughs> argument. If we ever disagree on the faux argument, then we've totally blown it. We've blown it. Yeah. yeah. We've we've totally got it wrong. The point, remember, the faux argument is an antidote to around the horn. That's how you have to think of it. Where they create fake arguments between people who don't actually hold those positions. <laughs> we are trying to undo the harm that that show does to the to sports journalism discourse. Did they do anything in Around the Horn about water balls? Did they do anything on it? <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> I can't imagine that that Woody Page or or uh, yeah, you know whoever's on that show now would have had any opinions about that one way or the other. No, I wouldn't, th- and they certainly wouldn't force them to have opinions on it. No, they certainly wouldn't tell them that they had to argue in a certain direction in order to make for what they consider to be compelling television. No, not at all. <laughs> that would never happen. Not going to happen. So, all right. So we move on from the far argument to our draft, and our draft this week uh, is is an homage to uh, a movie you've already mentioned, a movie that we both uh, just love. Uh, Inside Out, which fantastic, right? Just say, let's get that off the. Just great, just it's, just a unbelievably great, beautiful little movie. It's a perfect little movie. It's just yes. it's so wonderful. Uh, so we are drafting emotions based on on this. If you haven't seen the movie, there are emotions involved. Basically, that's all I'm going to say. I'm not, gonna, <laughs> that's, I'm not giving you too much. So uh, we are drafting emotions, and. Uh, I you think have you the first. Pick. I think no, you first. I'm pretty sure you have the first pick. Are you sure about really? this? I think you do. I think I think you have the first I, pick. I, I feel like I picked first last time. I think you got you got you take it. All right, I'm going to take the first pick. To me, the first pick is obvious. It's a it's a slam dunk. My scouts, uh, they came back and you know all. I I just didn't even need to send them out there, but I, they just came back just to say everything everybody's saying about it is is true. So, uh, number one pick in the emotions draft, happiness. It's, it's clear joy, happiness. I'm not really sure. I think we're going to have to probably parse words as we draft emotions because some of these emotions kind of blend in together. Yeah. Um, but happiness is it is the best emotion easily. I mean, it runs away with best emotion. And the thing that, that I think about with happiness is because all of the emotions have this way, I don't think any emotion has more different levels than than happiness. I mean, there's obviously your like elation, like that the top level of happiness where you're just beside yourself. You're at a incredible concert or a great sporting event or or at a wedding or whatever the case may be, and you're just like you're just utterly completely overtaken by happiness. Um, and then there's just bottom rung. Yeah, you know, people say like, "Hey, are you happy in life?" And you're like. You know, I'm pretty happy. You know, it's just kind of generally happy, which is how I, I feel all the time, just general happiness. Um, and all kinds of levels in between. It's uh it's all good. It's you know, you can't you can't uh you can't like I, I guess uh only be happy. And obviously that's that's sort of one of the core core lessons of, of the movie, but uh I don't even know that, you know, it's it's almost it's almost like such a slam dunk. It's such a LeBron James pick. I don't even think you need to explain it. Happiness number one overall. Pick. Yeah, it's it's LeBron James plus Tim Duncan plus Andrew Luck. It's like, it, it, I mean, what else? What else do you choose? It's right. like, it's the best. It's the best emotion. It's no, the best emotion. Just yeah, is. No, uh, not even worth discussing. It's a, in fact, it's a, it's a pretty big gap between. It's a. It's really not a deep draft, I have to say. It's like not a deep draft. Everybody, everybody knew happiness would go number one, and after that, it's like, yeah, there's a bunch of emotions that could <laughs> could be decent role player emotions, you know, on your bench, you know, good number three or four starters. Um, 
I'll take Wonder as my number. Oh, excellent pick. What a uh, good pick. It's a little bit of a reach, but I think that the like it is an emotion that that you have a lot when you were a kid because the world is all new. And yet when you're a grown-up and you're experiencing it and you experience Wonder, it's no less enjoyable. It's like if you can be it's almost it's sort of wonder slash surprise me maybe, maybe you might say like if you if you get that feeling when you're a grown up it is makes you feel like you're a kid again and it is exactly as sort of overpowering and enjoyable as it was when you were like nine and you saw you know a baseball stadium for the first time or whatever was the thing that put or like the space shuttle take off or whatever um, it goes obviously like it goes hand in hand with happiness because it fills you with a sense of kind of happiness and awe and exuberance and stuff. But I, I, it, it, I like it simply for the way that it makes you. It reminds you of what it was like to be a kid and to have that feeling of like, oh my god, I can't believe this is happening right now. It's such a good pick, and and it's it's such a good pick because I, you know, my scouts love Wonder. They just thought Wonder was. And so we had Wonder very high on our board, mm. uh, fully expecting to be able to get it in the second or third round, because because <laughs> obviously there's some there's some pretty strong emotions out there, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, here's here's my question for you about Wonder, and because this is something I think about a lot, uh, and and something I'm <clears throat> you know hoping to focus on uh, in a couple of projects I'm working on. How often would you say at your age, my age? Uh, how often do you feel wonder? It's not super common. No. You know, I mean, it, it's part of what I think makes people re- remain sports fans. People who have remained sports fans into their grown-up years. Part of it is wonder. Part of it is like, how did Mike Trout make that catch? Right. Or how did LeBron James hit that shot? Or like that. that is the real feeling of wonder that you have the most commonly, I think, as an adult, relates to sports. Mm-hmm. It's it's Malcolm Butler's interception, which I was at the game for. It's it's Ray Allen's three against the Spurs. Like it's those moments where you you are literally on the edge of your seat and you see something you didn't think you would be able to see in a million years. So I, to me, like that's a big part of why I'm a sports fan is because it's what it's it's a sports are like a machine that churns out. You know, my son, who's seven, is really into baseball right now, and which is delightful. And all we do every night is we look, we go to the MLB uh, app, and we watch highlights of every game. I mean, he watch he'll watch the like he'll watch a double play turn in, in the Brewers Mets game in the third inning. And be, you know, what happened here? It's great, but I'm what I'm what I get to see because I do that now is I'm getting wonder a lot. Like I'm seeing players I never knew about on teams I don't care about do amazing things that I didn't think was possible were possible. Like Giancarlo Stanton's every home run he hits fills you with wonder. It's yeah. like it's it's you can't believe what you're looking at. So I to me that's what sports is really about at some deep level. Yeah, I I'm so glad you 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 brought that up because I do think when you get older, you've just seen so much, you know, you've seen so many places and look, the first time you ever see whatever the Washington monument or, or, you know, if you, if you ever get to see the Eiffel tower in person or the grand Canyon, you're filled with like, Oh my gosh, I mean, this is incredible. And there's just this wonder. And if you ever see it again, it's like, yeah, you eh, okay, but it's not the same. And then if you see it again, you're like, all right, that's old news. And you can get to a point where you can just walk right by, you know, those things 
and not even think about them. You know, you can reach that point and wonder it's so difficult to maintain wonder, which I think is what's so great about it. But the cool thing about it is when you can see it through your kids. That's that to me is like the cool thing. Like we watched uh, the NBA finals here at the at the uh, house. And and obviously being a Cleveland guy, it was incredible to watch LeBron play at this level. And, and, and there was I don't know if it was wonder or this just, you know, real appreciation for for what he's capable of doing how you know how deep he can dig you know inside to himself but i was watching it with um katie my uh, youngest and she plays basketball and she just every single shot steph curry hit filled her with like wonder just yeah. just filled her because he because he gets off the shot so quick steph, and it's steph curry is a one-man wonder machine he is he is he's the wonder factory he really is and so we're watching it and she and because she's seeing it that way i'm seeing it that way and i i just think that's that's why wonder is such a it's it's a such a difficult emotion to like really get to like legit like you can you can sort of make yourself happy. I mean, if you if you really try hard, you can't make yourself feel wonder. It's like this. It's it's a great it's a great but good pick at number one. Good Thanks. overall pick. Um, you know, I've got so many positive emotions on my board. Um, so I'm gonna. But but it seems like you're you're on that same thing. So I'm gonna have to go early for um, for a real uh, a real project uh, for our team. Uh, I'm gonna go with anger. Uh, as as a as a, a high uh, pick here, just because of its potential, you know, anger <laughs> pretty much can can do anything at this point. I mean, it's you know, and again, I, I like that there's so many different kinds of anger. I, I like that there's you know, there's just like that instant, like furious rage you just feel, um, like whenever you see an injustice or or somebody does something to you or whatever, just like that instant, like sort of. just vicious anger that you feel. And then there's like the slow burning anger that you never let go of that people feel for Pete Rose, for instance. And then there's like this like fake anger that people seem to like, I, where I, I don't know if it is fake. Maybe it's not fake. You know, we were just talking about around the horn. Those guys look angry. Really? They really seem like, and I'm going, I don't see how the Philadelphia Eagles can make you that angry, but but it does, or at least they, they pretend to. So I like the fact that anger hits people in so many different ways. Uh, I am not, uh, in in particularly, I don't really have much of a temper, so I don't really get angry very often. Um, so when I do get angry uh, on those rare occasions, uh, my family thinks it's the funniest thing they've ever seen in their lives, When I, which which to me is like makes me happy and then I'm not angry anymore. Um, my family just finds that to be endless joy for them. They just couldn't find nothing funnier than make than than seeing me in my little fake anger, you know, situation that I'm in. So anyway, anger, anger also uh, does it does a lot of good. Uh, it is it is anger that uh, that probably leads to the uh, um, ending of injustices. Uh, I think sometimes you have to get angry in order to get motivated enough to do things. Uh, that's one. That's the one flaw of happiness is happiness can easily lead to complacency. So anger does not. Anger tends to lead to action. Uh, so I like that. Obviously, uh, lots of negative sides with anger. We're going to have to work with them. Uh, but I really think we can do something with anger. 
you you know what they say about anger. It's like classic clubhouse poison. <laughs> I mean, you're really like you need some real veteran leadership from happiness. Yeah. And some other with just to keep anger. Because like I, I think you're right. Lots of potential high ceiling club, clubhouse poison. Clubhouse I mean, poison. Every team anger has played on something's gone wrong. It's, it hasn't ended well. <laughs> it really is true. It, it really is true. Yeah, I like the idea though that you. It's like by combining happiness and anger, like balance, using them as like a double play combo to sort of balance out the middle of your your middle of your lineup and your middle of your infield. You might be. They might be more than the sum of their parts. Don't you right. think anger can push happiness uh, out of a little bit of complacency that happiness can like, get into? Like happiness, like you guys win game one of the World Series and it's like 6-2 and happiness had a two-run homer and happiness is just bouncing around the club <laughs> being, being happy. And then anger is like, hey, buddy, do, like, you don't celebrate after one win. You celebrate when we raise the trophy. Happy, yeah. You know what? You're right. I, be, I will be even happier if we win. <laughs> Like anger makes happiness. Anger makes happiness re kind of like reconceive of the ways in which he or she is happy. Exactly. And then when we win the World Series, which we will with this team, uh, anger goes outside and turns over cars. I mean, that's. <laughs> but we'll have already won. We've yeah. already won the series. Yeah, but then happiness comes by and it's like, hey, buddy, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you realize we just won? This is great. Happy. Yeah. Uh, this is getting out of control quickly. All right. I'll, for my number two, I'm going to choose uh, curiosity. Good one. I'm not 100% sure curiosity counts as an emotion. I don't, know, I don't know that. We're going we're gonna to say it does. Um, curiosity <laughs> is great. It, it also very often leads to positive change in the world. It leads to scientific breakthroughs and, and creative breakthroughs. It's a curious mind is, is my favorite kind of mind. Uh, people who are not curious, I find pretty dull and uninteresting and um, and complacent, uh, like you said before. So I think one, it's it's a little bit of a corollary. It's a little bit. I'm almost drafting like two six seven wings who can shoot here with wonder and wonder slash surprises number one and curiosity is number two. But uh, and they might they might be redundant. But um, I love curiosity. It's one of my favorite character traits in people in general is curiosity. So I'm going with that as number two. Totally agree. Now the question is: Is curiosity a trait or or, or an emotion? I, I mean, don't know. Well, uh, are, uh, do you find there are times you are more curious than others? Yes, of course. Well, then that's then it's an emotion. Well, not necessarily. <laughs> it could just be a trait that flares up in certain situations. I don't. I don't think if I were if I had to read the letter of the law of this draft, and I know that usually you and I are very strict about this. We so. are. There's a lot. There's a a rules committee. Roger Goodell often weighs in on on our decisions, and he he he's hired Ted Wells, and it's not going well. I think we're going to get it overruled, but I I'm going to push for curiosity to be labeled as an emotion just because I like it. I think it's a good. I'm calling it emotion. I think it's fine. Uh, And curious George. That wasn't his name. It was just it was it was his emotion. Yeah, or it was his <laughs> defining character trait. <laughs> I think it's probably a character trait, but I don't. But but uh, I, know, I'm fine with emotion. The Wells <laughs> report, the second Wells report that's coming out about this podcast, will will clarify it. Well, it I depends. Have. It depends which uh, which air thing they use to determine that. <laughs> which which emotion gauge? <laughs> which, emo- which emotion gauge they've got out that time? All right, my third pick. I'm going with one again. Also, don't know if it's an emotion. I'm going to think it is. 
uh, hope. Going with hope. I think hope is an emotion. I think you yeah, can feel, yeah. you can feel hope, right? Hope and then hope's an emotion, sure. Yeah, yeah. Hope, I think, is an emotion. Love hope. Love the idea that some people, like, are more gifted hopers than, than others. Like, there are people who, if their team is losing by seven runs in the eighth inning, they still hope that the team is going to there are most people are not like most people are heading for the exits they're out the door but there are people who are like like it's almost like being uh, a gifted musician or a gifted artist or something it's like some people can take a a pen and they can just draw something that looks amazingly like what they're looking at and like i i have none of that ability uh same thing with music some people who can just instantly hear sounds and and reproduce them on the piano or whatever um there are some people who are just gifted at hope i kind of always thought i used to i i always felt like i was i was one of the more hopeful people uh out there uh i just think that that's i think that's cool i think it's i think hope is is uh very uh it's it's important it's the one thing that robots always want to take away in the movies which tells you (laughs) right there how good it is uh, it's got the great Pandora's box story about Hope being the last thing in the box that didn't come out or whatever. Um, lots to like about Hope. So I'm, I'm going with Hope. You had me at it's the last, it's the first thing robots want to take away. <laughs> <laughs> that should have been your only argument. That's all I need right there. It's like, that's a really strong argument. It's the first <laughs> thing that the robots want to take away. <laughs> it's we're we're, Uh, we're so much better with hope we're so Um, much better i agree it's a great call you're winning this draft by the way i mean whoever got happiness happiness was gonna be tough i'm gonna i'm gonna go negative you went negative at two i'm going negative at three i'm gonna take disappointment Ooh. uh again not 100 percent sure it's an emotion but no more more of an emotion than curiosity more of an emotion than curiosity yeah I, i agree uh the reason i'm taking disappointment is because i think that disappointment is a very important part of maturing as a person I think people who don't experience disappointment turn into monsters. I think Justin Bieber, for example, has never experienced disappointment. I think from the moment that he uh, could could sing, he has experienced nothing but positive reinforcement from everyone around him and monetary uh, rewards and fame and fortune and everything else. And he has never experienced disappointment. And as a result, he is not a fully formed human being. So uh, I think disappointment is key, a key part of growing up, a key part of, um, of getting better as a person. And most importantly, I think that the, the feeling of disappointment stays with you for a very long time. I remember many times in my life that I was disappointed by something, something external like the Mets, uh, Red Sox World Series in 1986, or something that's kind of internal, like like not doing as well as I wanted to on a test or on writing a paper or whatever. And those things make like define you, and they they turn you into the kind of person who wants to do better, or the kind of person who is even happier when his or her sports teams succeed or whatever. And so it's almost like there is no, there kind of is no happiness without some without a kind of history of moments of disappointment. So I think it's a key facet of, of the basic sort of constitution of a person. Uh, it's, a, it's a great pick. I, I, what I want to know is, so when your scouts were out there scouting emotions, uh, yeah. and I know you spend a long time doing this, the one that came back to you and, you say, and he said, listen, I've seen disappointment. I really see him as a good mid-round pick. 
And you said to him, well, why, why do you say that? And he said, uh, because Justin Bieber has never experienced it. <laughs> I was told. That, was <laughs> that, was, that seemed like that was the thing that just ended it for you. That was like disappointment is there. Yeah. It's, are- I'm, it's a good, it's a very compelling argument. If I said to you, I'm going to give you an emotion that will make, will, will guarantee that neither of your children will end up <laughs> like Justin Bieber. Wouldn't you jump at the chance to know what that was going to be? Yes, I would. Yes, yeah. I would. I want to know how disappointment and wonder are going to get along on your team. It's great. Maybe it'll be like your happiness and anger. It'll be like a, a double play combo. You know what I mean? It could. They'll, okay. they'll, they, I think together they may be stronger than they would be individually. I, I think it's a good pick. I do think disappointment. And disappointment kind of is on the line of sadness, which is still on the board. So that's kind of a, an interesting yeah. time. Uh, I'm going to go with my fourth pick. Um, I am going to select Courage. I, I think courage is an emotion. And again, we're we're, we're pushing these things uh, mm-hmm. to the limits. Um I think courage is something that everybody wants to believe that they're going to feel in the moment when they need it. Um, but like courage is very, you know, I talk about, you know, anger being, being a head case courage. You just don't know when courage is going to show up. Like some days courage will be there for you. And some days not going to be there for you. And I think that's, that makes him, you know, tough uh, to, to coach. Um, the thing I like about courage is, Real courage is utterly inexplicable. There's like no real uh, explanation for people that I'm talking about on a battlefield or, or in a in a life death situation for people to feel courage, for people to to uh, have something in them that pushes them to go into the fire to save a friend or, or things like that. It's it seems like it's utterly like every other emotion you can kind of explain to some degree. I mean, hope is a tough one too, but you can kind of explain it. But courage, like real courage is so against the fiber of what seems logical in the moment that it's, that's, it's such a powerful, powerful thing. And I think courage also, I like a lot because it is so often misused uh, in, in like our day-to-day talk. Uh, I was watching the U S open and people were talking about the courage it took to put on those greens. <laughs> <laughs> that seemed off to me. It just seemed a little off to me. And frankly, I, I want courage on my team so we can talk about what real courage is. Cause I, that's, that's not courage. Yeah. Courage is, is, is unfathomable. That's unfathomable. why it's fascinating. And, it, and it's also why it makes you cry or it makes me cry. Yes. More often when you see it, not in putting on, a, on some <laughs> slightly bumpy greens in Washington State. But like when you see the still, I believe, anonymous Chiinese citizen standing in front of a tank in yes. Tiananmen Square, and just like alone, like literally alone, standing in front of a tank, you, you, it makes me well up every time because it, you, it's unfathomable what it took in that moment for that one person to do that simple act. So I, I, it's a great pick. I I would argue it probably should be way higher on the board. I don't know why it slipped. Um, it should definitely have been. Uh, it was my original number three choice, and then I moved, and I was going to be four. But um, yeah, I think you got to steal. You're killing me. This, <laughs> this is a this is a bloodbath. Are, draft is a bloodbath. Am, am I beating you as badly as you beat me in the Star Wars draft? No, that that'll never happen. That was that was. <laughs> That was embarrassing. It took me courage to just show up the next day. I think this is probably your your widest margin of victory. We're not, and we're not done yet. But there's no way I can even come close to catching up. 
Um, I'm going to choose empathy. I like uh, empathy. For I'm again and uh, stretching the definition maybe a little bit of uh, what an emotion is, but empathy I think is an, a vital part of the human experience. I think that most of the world's problems, in a very basic way, boil down to a lack of empathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a it's a in an inability for someone to reach outside of him or herself and try to experience life as another person um, and a, in a different situation. And I think if if, if you could snap your fingers and make everyone in the world fully empathetic or at least or even partially empathetic partially i think that the whole everything would be run differently i think governments would be run differently i think the way that we divide up money and resources and capital would be done completely differently i think a lot of people who are stealing money from people in different ways wouldn't would stop doing that i think that it's like i think so many of the world's ills would be cured if you could just snap your fingers and have like empathy osmotically go into people's souls. Um, so I'm, I'm choosing empathy at four. It's a, it's a great pick. Now, but again, and, and, you know, obviously at this point, there's no point in arguing or, or, or even discussing uh, whether it's an emotion, whether it's a trait, whatever, but do you believe everybody is capable of feeling empathy? No, I would assume that like sociopaths are in, right or whatever. Right. I, I assume that a large number of people have like actual sort of chemical or biological reasons why it's hard to experience empathy. And I think certain other people just were maybe raised in an environment. It's probably nature and nurture for some okay. people. Okay. I was a wild guess. I don't know. I'm not a, a sociologist or an anthropologist or a, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm also not a medical doctor. Is that so true? I, I, yeah, it's true. Yes, I'm not a medical doctor. So I don't I I don't think it is I think it's capable if you started right now and made it if you had a again if you had a magic machine and you you raised I don't think there's anything inherent in most people that prohibits them from at least understanding what empathy is or or thinking about it. I just think it's not something that people put a lot of put a lot of like uh, um kind of stock into as, as something that's important generally for their for their kids and their families I think they they tend to emphasize things like winning or succeeding or whatever above things like empathy. Yeah, well, I, it's just an interesting, interesting I, look. Empathy to me is the it's the it's the one thing I see in my uh, daughters uh, that makes me well up the most in pride because they're they're both very empathetic, and you know, part of it I think is because of you know how we have been raising them. Part of it is just like you say, it's born, but it makes me it makes me question. I don't. Like everybody I know, just about can feel all these other things that we're talking about. You know, they can be curious, they can be happy, they can be angry. Uh, you know, they can be uh, they can be courageous, they can be all these things. But there are people I know who I don't know if, and I don't even they're they're, they're friends of mine. They're not bad people or anything. I just don't know if empathy is in there anywhere. As far as like truly, like when you're having arguments with them or conversations with them. Uh, they cannot really feel what somebody else is feeling or they, or at least have, have not expressed that. Um, and I just thought, well, is this something that is, you do have to be born with, or is it an emotion that you can, that comes out, you know, at times? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah. and it also depends what empathy means. I mean, obviously you can be watching movies or something and be, you know, feel empathy for the characters on the screen. So, so I think everybody does feel that to some degree. So I don't know. It's, Empathy is fascinating. I think it's fascinating. And I did not know you were not a doctor. See, I wouldn't have asked you that. <laughs> See, you learn something about me every time we do this. 
<laughs> All right, with my fifth pick, my last pick, I you know I I I I see sadness on the board, and I it's hard for me to pass up on sadness. It's such a dominating and important emotion, um, and a very very important emotion, obviously in in the movie. Um, but because I have anger on my team and feel like I need to just keep nurturing anger, uh, I'm going to go with kindness as my fifth emotion. Um, and, you know, I, I think it goes without saying, you, were, you said something earlier that I, that I thought quite a bit about. What is it in movies, particularly, it could be television, could be, you know, other things as well, but particularly in movies that literally will, if not make me cry, bring me to the brink of tears, uh, over the years, what have I seen that that I think, and it's usually not sad things. I mean, obviously, you feel sad, you know, if somebody dies or somebody, you know, that, that certainly has an emotional grip. But the thing that tends to bring me to really just kind of sad tears, I mean, just, just, just rolling down my cheek, is when I see unexpected kindness, like when there's something, a character who has never displayed any level of kindness, uh, sort of, you know, just showing up and doing something thoroughly wonderful that you would never have seen coming, uh, or somebody doing a kindness that just goes against everything that they, uh, that would help them in, in any way, shape or form or, or everything they've ever stood for or understood. Um, Oh, I just love that. And I love that in history. I remember reading um, uh, David McCullough's, uh, it was McCullough, no, David Halberstam's book on the 50s. And he wrote this whole thing about Little Rock and, and the, and the you know, the, the school, uh, uh, you know, them the going ahead and, and uh, desegregating the schools. And, and there was this scene, you know, after it was such a big, um, you know, a big mess and, and, and the governor, you know, st- stepped in. Uh, finally, Eisenhower finally had to act and he sent in the National Guard and the National Guard took the kids to school. And so there was a moment where they showed up the first day and this, these families had been terrorized, you know, going through all of this. And the the person who was from the National Guard showed up at the door and said, at your service, uh, I will have her home promptly at 3.30 or something. And it was just such a, it was you know, it was through all of this horribleness and there was just this little moment of kindness and it just, I could just remember feeling just crying, just thinking about that. And so kind of super powerful emotion uh, comes from unexpected places, especially uh, so I'm going with kindness at number five. Well, it's a great pick. I mean, it's kindness. Like you kind of can't <laughs> do better than kindness. I'm just looking over, I, I, I'm looking over the draft right now. You have happiness, right? anger, hope, courage, and kindness. Yeah. No, I'm not losing and I, I, I have, I mean, I made some okay picks. I've got wonder or surprise, curiosity, disappointment, and empathy. Those are all interesting, nuanced emotions. But I, I mean, I've just been obliterated <laughs> entire. So, here, so for my for my fifth pick in the draft, I'm picking D'Angelo Russell, the point guard <laughs> from Ohio State. Um, he, you know, I could have gone for you know a franchise big or something. I sure. But I think, you know, it's a guy whose talent is unquestioned. He's going to run point for the team for years. I think he's in the – he could – his ceiling to me is Chris Paul. He's he's just like – he's a, he's this close to a can't-miss pick in this draft of emotions as I think I can get. So, I you know, maybe it's a wrong choice. Maybe I'll regret it. You know, I don't – I you know, I'm a little undersized. You know, wonder and surprise is, you know, 6'5", maybe. Curiosity right. is – 
curiosity and disappointment are both in the six four range. Empathies of, of six feet, if you know, if he's inch. Um, so I'm a little undersized here. I'm not going to lie, but I, I still just think that D'Angelo Russell gives me the best chance to like have a real kind of like rock solid bedrock player for a long time. So I'm I, picking D'Angelo Russell. I think it's a good pick. I'm a little surprised you didn't go big, honestly. Uh, at that point, I, I look uh, you know at the board and and you know I'm seeing. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, the Kentucky guys, all of those guys are really good. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm seeing sadness. I, I still think sadness was out there for you. you yeah, know, as, I, as, as, I could have gone optimism. I could have gone Jaleel <laughs> Okafor. I could have gone trust. I just feel like I just feel like D'Angelo Russell is my best. Move at this point. What about the Wisconsin kid? Did you think about him? Did you think See, about the Kaminsky? I think Kaminsky Kaminsky I had in the same sort of class as indignation. I think both <laughs> Kaminsky and indignation. They're kind of overrated, you know, and oh, Kaminsky Kent isn't a good defender and, you know, and indignation is sort of a narrow emotion. So uh, that doesn't apply to a lot of real life scenarios. So given that I'm going D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, I could see that. I, to me, my question was, if are you going to go with, you know, a big man uh, or yeah. are you going to go with love? I, I thought those were the two real hard choices that you were going to go with. That's why I'm a little surprised that you would go small. Well, I have to feel like. You know, by the way, the reason not to take love, I think, is that love is essentially. I mean, you could, obviously either of us could have chosen love. It was right; it was sitting out there. For it was us. sitting, but love—it's not that different from a combination of like happiness, kindness, wonder. Like you know what I mean? Love is like an umbrella term. Yeah, to me, that's like a, that's a lot of the. It's almost like cheating. It's like if you were a basketball. It'd be like taking the entire Kentucky starting lineup as right. your first pick or something. It just doesn't. It doesn't. I, I feel like it's cheating. That's how I felt. I don't know how you felt that. Well, way. I felt that way. Plus, uh, you know, I feel like he doesn't play defense, um, and that's that's a real. That's Kevin Love. But both <laughs> both are are. Yeah, it's it, both have issues. I felt like you know this was going to be a draft from the start. That was going to be defined by the first pick, and and whoever had the first pick was going to go because once you get happiness, you can go any direction you want. You can go do whatever you want. You've, you've got Mel Kiper Jr. gives you an A plus for your draft. There's no way to screw it up. All right, so now the real question is going to be as we as we go forward: Is this uh, equivalent to the Star Wars stomping? And and I want I think people need to answer that question. It might be. It may it, honestly it might be. But people should weigh in. It, <laughs> Who who had a more decisive victory, me in the Star Wars draft or Joe in the emotions draft? That's yeah. a great question. It's a, it's a good one. It's a good one. Um, I look back on that and uh, and honestly think to myself, you know, maybe I should have seen the movies before I actually sort of did that draft because <laughs> that was disastrous. I, I just it was just a bad day. Just a, you know, one of those days the phone's not working, something's going on at the office. I'm not hearing from the GM. It was just a bad day. Just a bad day. Yeah. So as always, we get through another one of these things. Um, Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me.